Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, I want you to know something. Last week was an amazing service. I don't know. I had so many people really blessed by it and impacted by it. We had a really, really good time. And it was so good to take uh, some people who've kind of grown up with us and who we know and see that impartation in their lives. We were all really, really blessed by that. So last night, Zach ministered. And I have to tell you, there was, there was more on it. There was something powerful. I was, I was going to say, did that impartation do anything? And I was looking. And uh, I think it did. I was like, wow, this juicier sermon. I can feel the glory. So. But uh, Zach's ministering again this morning. Just come on, give it up for Zach. Come on, Zach. Good morning. Well, that's really encouraging. Yesterday, the, uh, the, the first thing my wife says to me before I come up here is, don't choke. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's great. I'm glad you got so much confidence. <laughs> oh, Jen, that's right. Oh, Jen. All right, so we're going to carry on today with uh, But Wait, There's More, uh, the sermon series we've been looking at. And we started off a couple of weeks ago uh, looking at peace, looking at how, uh, you know, the resurrected Jesus, he comes into a room with his disciples. They're locked. They're, they're, they're afraid. They're afraid they're going to suffer the same kind of violent, horrible outcome that Jesus did. They're, fra- they're afraid. They're scared. Jesus shows up and he says, peace. And the cool thing about that is, you know what? You know when Jesus says something to you, he, it's not like, hey guys, you know what would be a good idea just to calm down a little bit? You should just be cool. No, when Jesus says a word to you, it imparts something to you as well. So when he says peace, he's releasing his peace to the people. And that's a good place to start. If you believe that there's more, and there really is, then peace. Peace to you. That's what, you know, the, a lot of the epistles start with peace. I don't think that's an accident. Grace and peace be to you from God the Father. So peace. We talked about Thanksgiving. We talked about how uh, it's, a, it's an attitude of the heart, really. It's, uh, it's something that's expressed. It's something that's done. And it's something that springs out of the inside, part of who you are, right? So if there's a lack of an expression, we talked about how that's a heart problem. But gratitude's a great place. We saw in the life of Daniel how being grateful propelled him. It helped him to be a, a, a better participant, to help them to be more engaged in what uh, the call of God on his life and the opportunities that came around for him. So Thanksgiving, it's good. It leads to more. Talked about the Holy Spirit baptism. And uh, we saw some results throughout the week. Now, I love small groups. As a small groups coordinator, that's awesome. But that should be awesome to everybody. Everybody here should be like, that's amazing. Because I'm not just coming to church on Sunday and that's it. But God's doing something in, in our lives midweek. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty big. You know, you don't just leave the church building. You are the church 24-7. And seven days a week, God's moving in our lives. It's really powerful stuff, so it's really good. So we got a couple of verses that we're uh, using as a theme for more. So John 10.10, 10, I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. More abundant life. Now that could mean a lot of things to a lot of people. How I read that is that Jesus doesn't just want to give me his life, but he's committed to the journey with me. He's committed to helping me unpack that. He's committed to me actually manifesting the life in my life. 
He's given me his divine life, and he doesn't want me just to run around and say, I've got it. He wants me to express it and manifest it, and he's committed to that process in my life. So I hate journey, I hate process, but hey, we're on one. <laughs> but it's not about acquiring stuff. It's about unpacking what you've already been given. Peter says that he's already given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So it's good stuff. Next one. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not withhold or spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him freely and graciously give us all other things? And I just do want to draw your attention to the word things. Because sometimes we need things. Things. Sometimes we're too... I don't know. I don't know if the right word is proud or, or we, we want to focus on the, the, the non-thing stuff, but sometimes you need stuff. So don't be so proud to ask for stuff. Pray for stuff. Jesus says, set your mind on the things above. Paul said that, right? Set your mind on the things above. So basically, he wants to bless you in every single way, inside and out, your internal world, your, out your external world. Just take it. Say yes, please. It's all part of the more package. It's all part of the more. So today, we're going to carry on with more, but um, I just want to explain for a second the, the, the thought process, I guess, uh, the inspiration for what I'm going to talk about today. It's, it's when Pastor Carl shared the idea of, but wait, there's more. What I saw, the, the enduring image that stays with me is, is, is the picture of a person who, you know, he's, we've talked about Jesus today being the lifter of our head. I see in my mind this person who's just got his head down, her head down, and just walking away. Just packed it in. Just quit. Just walk. I'm done. It's too much. It's too hard. I'm too hurt. There's too much stuff going on. I see that. And then I see somebody running up behind this person and saying, but wait, there's more. Don't quit now. Don't quit now. There's something more. So I, we're going to unpack that a little bit today. But I've called this, but don't quit now. There's more. I love the, the, the lyrics and the songs that we sung today. It was really, really powerful stuff. You know, there's a reason why Paul said, speak to one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sometimes it's good to listen to the words, you know? They mean some stuff. Good tune, too. Good singing. Good stuff, guys. <laughs> All right, so quit. Let's do it. We're going to talk a little bit about quit today. So quit. A couple definitions for quit. Quit to stop, to cease, to discontinue. We all know that. You can stop doing something, and that can be a problem because, you know, there's, there's some things that you have to do. If you want to get better at something, for example, you know, I, I wanted to be a really good soccer player. Well, if I stop practicing, that's just not going to work out, right? So you can quit. Uh, to, to quit can also be to, to depart from or to leave a, a person or a place. You can quit a relationship. You can, uh, I, guess, I guess this is probably a little bit more of an old expression, but you can say, you know, I quit the city. I'm done with the city. I'm moving out into the country. Jen and I quit Strathroy. We're out in the country. <laughs> Nothing against Strathroy. That's Strathroy. It can be to give up or to resign, to let go, to relinquish. And that, that's a little bit more than just, uh, you know, I, I'm not doing something. That's a, I'm packing it in altogether. I quit. So, so maybe you can think about it in terms of there's a particular thing at work that you do. Like you, you take out the garbage or something and you, you're really frustrated. Your coworkers don't do it. You're always doing it. I'm not doing that anymore. I quit doing that. That's one way to quit. That's to stop, cease, or discontinue being a good coworker, right? Or you can just quit your job. That's the difference, right? You can just quit altogether, relinquish. You can do that. But one thing I want to say today is that there's, there's lots of different ways of, of quitting. Sometimes it's just, to, like I said, just to stop altogether. It's dramatic. But sometimes it's not so dramatic. It's a little bit more subtle. So I've got a, a little example here. 
from my own life. This here, this is my oldest daughter. This is a certificate of excellence that I gave her for, uh, for beating me 100 times at Mario Kart Wii. Uh, if you don't know, it's a video game is that you race around a track. And uh, the unfortunate thing here is that 100 times is actually about 350 because you, uh, the way you do this is you race four times, you count up the points for how many points you get depending on the position that you're in. And uh, you know if you got the most points at the end, you're the winner. So she beat me about 350 times. And I'm a really, really, really competitive person. Like, I, like playing soccer with my kids is ugly because I get ugly. It's unfortunate, but I don't, I, don't know. I don't know if that's good parenting or not, but I figure one day they are going to beat me for real, so uh, it'll be a great day for them, because they'll know they did it for real. I don't know. But, uh, so, so we do this. I get, I'm really frustrated. Like, I'm not kidding. I'm frustrated. It's kind of embarrassing. I, I left yesterday when I, when I shared this yesterday. I was like, wow, that's kind of stupid. I can't believe I did that. But I was uh, really, really frustrated. You know, I used to be able to beat her. It's kind of trivial, but uh, so by the time we get to like 75 races, I'm just I'm I'm frustrated. I'm I'm checked out. Sometimes I'm just like I'm I'm going to drive my car backwards. I'm so frustrated right now. No matter what I do, I can't beat her. She's just I don't know. She's some sort of video game protege. I just can't do it. And she's awesome. So I get really frustrated. Sometimes I just turn around and drive my car backwards. Sometimes I'd approach the game and I'd be like, you know what? I've got no hope of beating this kid at all. So I'm just going to, we're here. We're going to listen to some tunes while we do it. It's going to be great. I quit. About 75. But I, I kept going. I kept playing with her. And, and I, it might be a very crude way. Maybe you're thinking, wow, who's like, I can't believe they gave him a mic. But uh, <laughs> I kept racing. Sometimes you keep doing what you're doing, but sometimes you withdraw a little bit. You hold back. You stop. Sometimes you, you don't quite show up. You know, you're there in body, but not in mind. You're there, but you're not fully engaged. Sometimes quitting looks like just withdrawing a little bit, just backing up. It can look like that in relationships. It can look like, you know, I'm, I'm still here. We're still engaged, but I'm just not going to give myself the way I used to. It can look like, you know, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still doing this thing. I'm going through the motions, but... Yeah, I'm not really present, right? So quitting can look like a couple different things. And uh, again, I just want to make a couple disclaimers too, because there are uh, some things in life that you should quit, right? Sometimes there's situations you get yourself in that are hurtful, harmful. And uh, I mean, if you're hurting somebody, hurting yourself, stop, quit, don't do it. If you're in a situation where, uh, you know, you're, and I'm not talking about a difficulty, you know, sometimes things are difficult and you got to work through some stuff. But I mean, if you're in a situation where you're constantly being, you know, abused or something like that, so, so don't hear like a blanket carte blanche, I'm never going to quit anything, because some things you just need to withdraw from. It's, it's true, just for your, for your own well-being, you need to do that. So, so those are my, that's my disclaimer. One more disclaimer, Jesus says, pay attention to how you listen. And I, I'm conscious of this all the time when I hear someone preach, when I hear somebody talk, when I engage in worship, anything. Be careful, because you're always listening through a grid. You've always got a filter that you're listening through. So, so don't, don't hear, please don't hear me saying, you know, stir up and rile up that religious spirit and all that kind of like religious anxiety and, and you know, do everything in your own strength. Don't, don't hear that today. We're going to talk about Jesus. We've sung about Jesus. We've experienced him. We've, uh, we, we've talked about how Jesus chases you down, that reckless love that finds you no matter what. So, so today it's not so much, you know, rile up your own strength. This is about let's encounter Jesus and his ministry to your heart. 
we love miracles. I love miracles. I love healing miracles. I love all that kind of stuff. But you know what? Your heart, the, the binding up of a broken heart, that's, that's a miracle. Yeah, yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's a tough one. It's a big one. It's a significant one. Yeah. The binding up of broken hearts. One of the reasons why Jesus came. So, I mean, be open to that. So we don't want to wind up our, our religious efforts. We don't want to get all religiously anxious. We don't want to get into any of that stuff. So we've got a good example of what it means to not quit from somebody who was actually rooted and grounded in grace, the Apostle Paul. So Philippians chapter 3. I'm just going to read it for you out of the Passion Translation, but it says this. Paul says, I admit, I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I won with passion into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all the past and I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. So let all who are fully mature have the same passion, and if anyone is not yet gripped by these desires, God will reveal it to them. Now, I think that's beautiful. That, that touches on so much that we talked about already today. How if you... Uh, you, know, you feel like you've withdrawn a little bit. You feel like you've quit. You've taken your foot off the gas a little bit. Jesus doesn't condemn you. He's absolutely committed to seeing the fullness of his purpose in your life realized. So it says he'll reveal it to them. He won't smack them. He won't come rebuke them. He'll reveal it to them. He's a really, really gentle person. So it's all good stuff. Thankfully, we got an example from the scriptures, too, about quitting. I'm not just stuck with my, uh, my we example, because that's kind of pathetic. But we got something a little bit more in the scriptures here. So we're going to talk a little bit about Peter. Peter quit. There was a time where Peter said, you know what? This is enough. I'm done. I'm checking out. I'm withdrawn. I'm all done. And he goes back to fishing. Now, Jesus, when he first met Peter, if you remember in Luke chapter 5, they have this beautiful encounter where uh, Jesus really uh, ministers to him in a very unique way, and uh, Peter's reaction is brilliant. But, but Peter, basically, Jesus says to Peter, come follow me, don't be afraid, come follow me, and Je or Peter's response to Jesus is, he leaves everything. So he's out fishing, and he leaves his net, he leaves his boat, he just leaves it, he leaves it all, and, and I think that's really significant for Peter, is he, he couldn't hang on to that stuff and still follow Jesus, so, so he's left it behind, but then after Jesus is raised from the dead, after Jesus comes and ministers to, to the disciples, he shows Thomas the wounds in his hands and in his side, after he, uh, you know, Peter's run to the empty tomb, he's seen that Jesus is alive, so he saw the resurrected Jesus, he saw this, but he still quit. So it says in John chapter 21 that Peter, he says to his, to his buddies, he's like, I'm going fishing. I'm done. I'm going back to where, you know, that thing that I, I left in the first place. I'm going back. I'm done. And uh, Pastor Carl, we were talking about this in the, uh, you know, in, in, in the office about this. And uh, Pastor Carl's like, it's kind of like a squirrel. Uh, the mind of a squirrel. Have you ever seen when you're driving on the car and uh, down the road in your car and a squirrel darts out and then he just kind of jumps back? You think he's going to make it? It's going to be great. He's going, he's going, he's going. And then for some reason, he just goes back the way he came and crunch. There's the end of the squirrel, right? I saw some people. <laughs> that's funny. Some people speed up. Some people slow down. 
If you're the speed up kind, there's prayer for that today. I don't like squirrels. I think they're gross. I'm just being honest with you. If you saw a squirrel without the fluffy tail in your house, you'd probably freak out, right? You'd call the exterminator, but we love them. But squirrels, they, they do this. They run across the road, and then, and then they're just like, I'm just going to go back to where I came from, and we don't know why. In fact, Pastor Carl challenged me to research this. I'm going to pass my homework along to you for small groups for your icebreaker. Come with your best answer. Why do squirrels do that? Why do they go back the way they came? Well, in the scriptures, it, it talks about dogs, not squirrels. It says dogs. It says in Proverbs 26, 11, that the dog returns to his vomit. As the dog returns to his vomit, so the fool goes back to his folly. You know, it seems somehow that we've got this uh, human ability to uh, go back to something that we once left. We can call it a default. You know, sometimes we, uh, when, when life gets tough, and you just kind of switch, you know, when you switch into autopilot a little bit, and you just kind of, what, what do you do when you're on autopilot? That, that reveals your default, you know? So, I mean, there, there are some common ones. There's things like uh, dieting. We talked about this the other day, dieting, where you, I don't know, anybody's tried to diet, but you, uh, you, you know, you're, you do really good. Two weeks, you're like, I'm not doing this, I'm not eating this, I'm not eating that. And then all of a sudden, you have a really tough day. And what do you do? You go back to eating your ice cream, or for me, it's my frozen pizzas at late at night or something like that, right? So you, you, you go back, and, and, and it's not because you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so excited to blow my diet. It's just, you're just like, ah, I'm just going back to what's comfortable, right? You're just going back to that thing that you know really well, and it makes you feel good. And, and, and some defaults can be a little bit more serious, right? For some of us, it can be drugs. For some of us, it can be alcohol. For some of us, it can be uh, a bad relationship. You know, you just keep going back. I <laughs> joked about this the other day, but exercise can also be one of those things. Yeah. Yeah, I know some people, some people pay money to go into a room and get really tired lifting heavy things. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my goodness. I got some heavy stuff in my house you can do, and I won't even charge you. <laughs> So we got defaults. Sometimes we have default narratives. It's a, it's a story that we keep telling ourselves over and over and over again. It, it's where you kind of put yourself as the main character in this drama that's going on all around you. And uh, sometimes it can be quite ugly. Sometimes it can be like, oh my goodness, they always do that to me. They always treat me like this. I can't believe this always happens to me. And it's this story that you're always constantly situating yourself in. Because I think as human beings, we're always wanting to make meaning of our life. We're always wanting to find a way that everything makes sense. So we're, we're, we're creating stories and putting ourselves in it. And sometimes it's not good. It's really not good. So we've got our defaults. Peter had a default. It was fishing. And I mean, that's kind of a, a popular saying too. You know, gone fishing. Going fishing, we know. Checking out. Taking a break. Out to lunch. Uh, in body or mind. But you know what? When we quit, when we're tempted to quit, when we're tempted to, to just dramatically pack it all in or just internally, just even, even just back up a little bit, I don't think that anybody makes the conscious decision and says, I'm going to be a quitter today. I don't think anybody wakes up out of bed, values the virtue of quitting and says, I'm done. Praise Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm done today. I quit life. I'm withdrawing from you, praise Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm withdrawing from people. I, I, that's not something that we celebrate. It's just not a virtue. And I think sometimes 
the thing about quitting, the thing about withdrawing a little bit, the thing about backing down a little bit is, is oftentimes is, is precipitated by some sort of pressure or circumstance. I mean, sometimes we experience something traumatic in our lives, something dramatically traumatic. We're just like, wow, I'm backing up. Sometimes it's an accumulation of uh, just life, right? Sometimes it's, uh, it's a little offense here that you hold on to. Sometimes it's a little bit of anger here, a little bit of bitterness there, a little bit of... You know what I mean? It can be so subtle, but it builds up. It really can. So there's, a, there's usually a reason why people withdraw. And I found in the story of Peter three, three that I think are kind of common to everybody. Uh, you know, we've all got um, unique uh, personalities. There's unique pressure points that we can all experience to withdraw. Kind of like uh, Tolstoy in uh, Anna Karenina. He's like, you know, every happy family is happy alike, but every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way, you know? There, there's a couple things that you can do in life to, to really succeed. It's generally true across every field. There's a, there's a handful of basic f- fundamental things that if you grasp, you're going to be successful, right? And it's pretty common. But, I mean, when things go wrong, they can go wrong in a whole host of ways. And it's usually very specific and very subjective. But these, I think, are pretty common to everybody. So uh, the first one is, why do we quit? Well, I think that uh, seemingly, I'm going to put that word seemingly, shattered promises and broken expectations can cause you to quit, cause you to withdraw. So in a word, disappointment. You know, if you feel like something was, you're you're so convinced something's going to work out a certain way, you just need things to happen in a certain way, and then it doesn't, you're like, what the? Jesus, what's going on here? You know, I read this promise in the Bible, but it's just not showing up in my life yet. Why not? You, you can create a narrative about how you think some things should work out in your life, you know, like in 20 years' time. Or, you know, when I was a teenager, I wanted to be here by the time I was, you know, let's say 36. Right? And then you're like, well, wow, it didn't quite work out. Oh, all right, I'm just going to back off a little bit. Let's say there's a, let's, let's get specific. Let's say there's a, there's a healing need, right? And you, you believe in, by his stripes, I am healed. By his stripes, you are healed. Amen, it's true. Don't quit, don't back off, keep going. But sometimes the tendency can be there to withdraw just a little bit. So Peter, I think he had an experience where he had some broken dreams, some broken expectations, Jesus explains to the disciples, well, he, first of all, he asks them, he says, you know what, who, who do men say that I am? What, what's the word out there? What's going on? What's, what's going on on the street? And I think he's really wanting to get to the heart of what they thought. And he says, uh, Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, yes, you've got this from my father. My father revealed this to you. I'm going to build my church on the revelation of who I am. So this is awesome. And then from that moment, it says he started to explain to the disciples that he was going to go. He was going to leave. He was going to, but he was going to be crucified. So Peter's got this idea. He's got the perfect revelation of who Jesus is. He, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. He got that right. But then he had this expectation that that was going to look a certain way. So when Jesus starts to unpack this to him and says, you know what, this is going to involve me going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to suffer, Peter says, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. Now, it's a good thing that it did. I mean, it's kind of awful that Jesus had to go through with that, but could you imagine if Jesus would have said, you're right, Peter. Wow, I can't, what was I thinking? None of us would be here. None of us would be saved. He just didn't, he didn't see it. He didn't think it should work out that way. 
And the funny thing is about Peter is Jesus, he's like, hey, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Like, he has a really stern rebuke for him. Yet somehow, somehow later, Peter still, he, uh, when Jesus is being arrested in the garden, Peter still whips out a sword, runs after a guy, chops his ear off. He still thought it was going to come through the sword. Somehow he had this expectation for what it was going to look like. And it didn't. And sometimes the pain of disappointment can be so strong, so strong that Peter sees the Jesus who was crucified, raised from the dead, and the sting and the pain of that disappointment still caused him to go fishing. It's a powerful thing. Disappointment can really get, get in your head, you know? It can really affect your emotions. But thank God, Romans 5 says, we have a hope that does not disappoint. Because the love of God's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Praise Jesus. So there's another thing that I think is common to all of us that can cause us to quit, to withdraw, and that's personal failure. Let's call it sin. Let's call it, uh, you've made a mistake. You've really messed something up in your world. Maybe you've really hurt somebody. Maybe you've done something that's just so, so out there. Well, Peter did this. Jesus said to Peter, hey, guess what? You're going to deny me three times. No, I'm not. I never will. I'll never be made to stumble. He was so convinced that he was so committed. He was so convinced that he was just the, the guy who was never going to leave no matter what. I got this, Jesus. I'm your guy. I'm going to be at your right hand all the time. And then, of course, we know that he didn't. He didn't. And then in that moment, Peter's, Peter's confronted with his own sin, with his own failures. And sometimes it's not even like, oh, my goodness, I feel so guilty and I feel so shameful. Sometimes it's just like, wow, I thought I could do that, but I can't. You, can't, you bump up against your own limitations, which is actually a good place to be, you know? The Apostle Paul said, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. God's grace is sufficient. But when you initially bump up against that, if that's not your response, you can kind of, all right, maybe this isn't the call of God on my life. Maybe this is too hard. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe I'm unworthy. Maybe I'm disqualified. I mean, if, if you knew what I did last year, if you saw me on the weekend... Uh-oh, a little bit of shame there. So that can cause you to back up, withdraw, hold back. Comparison and competition. I think that's another thing that Peter struggled with. In that same moment when Jesus is like, hey, Peter, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall. He's like, no, even if everybody else does, it'll never be me. Even if those guys, so he said, you know, even if these losers around you, Jesus, even if they do, I'm not. I'm better than these guys. So, you know, it's great that you're expecting them to fall, but I'll never do that. That's ugly. That was really ugly. That was a real problem for Peter. And, and you know, we're going to see even, even later, Peter has this beautiful experience with Jesus, and uh, he's, still, he's still struggling through this. He's still saying, hey, but Jesus, what about that guy? He's got this thing where comparison. And if you compare yourself all the time to other people, then that, that, there's a couple problems that come up with that. You know, you're either going to be really disappointed and you're going to feel inferior because you're like, wow, I just don't measure up to that person. Or, unfortunately, you could be like, praise Jesus, I'm not like him. I'm so glad I'm not like that person. When you do that, you're also out of the race. You just don't know it. It's ugly. It really is. So don't compare. Peter compared. Peter contrasted. And, uh, you know, I'm just a little bit of speculation, but I think these things kind of contributed to him saying, I'm going fishing. 
These kind of things, they can build up in your heart and affect you that way. They really can. But thanks be to God, as they say in the liturgy. Thanks be to God. Jesus shows up in our world, and Jesus showed up for Peter. In my little mental picture, I told you about this person with their head down. They're just walking away. I quit. I'm done. That person who comes running up behind them and says, hey, don't quit now. There's more. For me, that's Jesus. And in this story, you see Jesus do that with Peter. Jesus chases him down. The reckless, overwhelming, whatever, love of God. He's going, there, there's nothing that he's not going to kick down. No shadow, he will whatever, fight there. I don't know. There's kicking and fighting. I don't even know. But there's some good stuff. Jesus is on the way. And Jesus shows up for Peter. Now, after the resurrection, uh, like I said, Peter's, uh, he, he's seen Jesus. He's, uh, he's seen Jesus minister to Thomas. He's decided to go fishing, and wouldn't you know it, the place where he goes to quit, the place where he, his default is the place where Jesus meets him. So, I mean, there, there's one point right there for you. If you think you got to turn it all around and get perfect and get back, you know, before Jesus will meet you, forget that. He's going to find you right where you are. So maybe you're, you're in that spot. So you're in that spot of quit. You're in that spot of, I am so overwhelmed. I'm backing off. Well, that's just where Jesus is going to find you. He's not saying, hey, get to me, and then we'll talk. He's like, no, no, no. I was found by those who didn't seek me. So Jesus goes, and he finds Peter fishing. Jesus meets Peter at the original place of promise and breathes hope again into all of his seemingly lost promises. See, when Jesus met Peter at the fishing boat the first time, he says, you know what, Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. You're going to be a catcher of people. Jesus meets people and gives them a calling. He gives them a commissioning. He says, hey, this is what your future is going to look from now on. And it's to, to responding to that invitation that he leaves everything and goes on. So Peter, in that moment, you can imagine he, his hopes are building. He's getting a picture for what he thinks his life's going to look like. He thinks Jesus is going to do this, uh, you know, maybe this physical thing where he's going to kick the Romans out. Maybe he's thinking, yeah, I'm going to be right there beside him. I'm going to have a special seat in the palace or something. Who knows what he's thinking? But in that moment, he's full of hope. So much hope, so much expectation that he leaves everything. That's pretty significant. How many of you would just quit your job and walk away? Right? That'd be tough. Right? But he does. He's got such a vision, such a vision for a future. has gripped this man that he's willing to let it all go. So imagine the devastation when he goes back to that. Imagine the, the, the heartbreak that he's feeling. But Jesus goes back to that same place. Jesus originally has performed a, a miracle. He's, he's showed Peter how to, how to catch a miraculous catch of fish. So he does the same miracle again. He meets Peter while he's fishing. He, he tells him how to catch a whole bunch of fish. And he goes back to that same place. And later on in the story, in John chapter 21, verse 13 to 15, he ends up telling Peter, hey, guess what? You're not going to be catching men right now. Well, you, you are, but it's actually a little bit bigger. It's a little bit better than that. You're going to be uh, feeding my sheep. You're going to be leading the people. You're, you're going to catch them, but you're going to lead them. You're going to disciple them. There, there's more to the story. You didn't see it all. You know, there's more. You didn't quite see the picture. You didn't see how it was going to unfold. But now with a grace lens, he can go back and say, wow, wow, this is bigger. This is bigger and better than I thought. And he can breathe that life back into Peter's dreams, back into his expectations and say, you're, you're released again. That call that you had, all the, all the dreams and all the expectations and all the hopes that you originally had that you thought were dead, 
come back to life for Peter. Now, I think you could forgive Peter in that moment. Jesus is doing this, this fantastic ministry in his heart. And uh, if Peter's like, all right, well, that's great, but you remember that thing I did? Remember I denied you? You can't be serious, Jesus. You can't really, you know, that, that's great, but you're going to remember what I did, and then you're going to take it all back again, Right? Sometimes we hold on to our sin. We hold on to our shame. We hold on to our failure. And you don't need to. Jesus hasn't. He's let it go. So Peter, or Jesus comes to Peter and he addresses the very thing. He, he does it in a very gentle way, if you can see this. He kind of gets up in his business and he, and he doesn't let it go. But neither does he point his finger in his face and condemn him. Right? So he denied Jesus three times. Three times Jesus asks him, hey, Peter, do you love me? And gives Peter the chance to say, yeah, I do. You know I do. Now, the next part here, this is, uh, there's lots of different interpretations for this. This is mine. I'm putting that disclaimer out there. But I think that there's something significant. If you know the story, Jesus says to Peter, after he, after he meets him, he's out of the boat. He's actually run out of the boat. I don't know if that happened. He ran on the water. I don't know. It's kind of funny. He says that he put his clothes on and ran to Jesus. So who knows what happened there. But they have fish after... <laughs> We talked about that in our small group. It was funny. It's like, what's the guy doing fishing naked? That's weird. <laughs> Anyways, so there, uh, Jesus and Peter. Jesus goes up to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, I, I do. You know I do. Jesus says, well, then feed my sheep. And he says to him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Then tend my sheep. And then the third time he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, man, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Now, I think there's something a little more going on here. There's something a little, little more going on. So if you, uh, when, when Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? What he's saying is, Peter, do you agape me? It's a different Greek word for love. So the, word Greek, or the, the Greek word for, for that love is agape or agape or however you say it. Um, and it means this. It means to, to prefer, to love by embracing God's will choosing his choices and obeying them through his power. So we've got a notion of agape that is unconditional love. And it really is. It's unconditional God's love towards you. It's this sloppy, all-embracing love. And in many respects, it really is kind of the highest form of love. But it's unconditional towards you because God has chosen to love you no matter what. He's made a decision about you that he is going to love you, and you're not going to change his mind. Nobody's going to change his mind about you. So but it's, it's rooted in his decision. It's his will to love you. It's his choice to love you. For some reason, he saw you. He saw everything about you and was like, I love you. And you're like, well, what about this? Love you. What about that? Still love you. What about that? Love you. He's chosen to love you. Now, the thing about agape love is when you turn that around and you try to offer God agape love, and it's not the flow of the Holy Spirit, it's not the fruit of the Spirit in you, what you're ending up doing is, is you're offering to God the best ability you have to choose his choices, to do his will. So in effect, what, what Jesus is saying to Peter is this. Peter, do you love me by choosing my choices all the time? Peter, do you love me by always doing my will? Do you love me by surrendering your heart to me all the time so that you never ever don't not do my will, you never don't choose what I want you to do? And of course, Peter can't say yes. He can't. He's failed. 
he's done something wrong. And he knows it. So he, he can't say to Jesus, yeah, Jesus, you know I always do your will. Because he didn't. He denied him three times. So what Peter says is, Lord, do you know I phileo you? It's a different kind of love. You know I love you. And that love is a, a love of friendship. It's with regard to affection. It's to show warm affection and intimate friendship. So in effect, what Peter says to Jesus is, Lord, you, you know that I didn't do your will. I didn't love you by doing what you wanted me to do. But I still love you. I still have this, this intimate friendship feeling for you. I have affection for you. I really love you. And Jesus says to him, well, that, he, he doesn't say, well, that's not what I asked. Come on, Peter, I asked you if you could always do what I wanted you to do. He says, no, feed my sheep. So he does it again. Jesus asks him again, hey, Peter, do you love me? Do you always do my will? Do you love me by expressing perfect obedience to my preferences and choices? And Peter again has to say no. But he says, Jesus, you know that I feel for you. You know that I have affection in my heart for you. You know that we have this relationship. The third time, Jesus changes it up. And he goes to Peter. He says, Peter, do you have friendship? Do you have, do you have affection for me? He says, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter's like, Lord, you know I do. You know I do. And I think in that moment, Peter's fully restored. I think in that moment, Peter has, has realized that what Jesus is after and what he's looking for isn't a perfect commitment to his, his choices. It's not, hey, P Peter, I'll only accept love from you if you can always do what I want you to do. I think in that moment, Peter realizes Jesus wants friendship. He wants relationship. And I think in that moment, he realizes, hey, I messed up and somehow... The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, has still come into my life, and he says, you know what? You're enough. Your love for me, your affection for me, our friendship, that's enough. See, Jesus doesn't go to Peter and say, Peter, you broke the law. You're a sinner. We got to talk. No, he comes and he talks about their relationship. See, sometimes if you get stuck in the, in the realm of failure or, or, or you become hyper aware of your sin or something, say you mess something up really bad. Jesus is concerned about you as a person. He's concerned about your relationship. He's not concerned that you violated his holy law. He's taking care of that already. I hope that's okay to say. Yes. See, Jesus for Peter was Peter's righteousness. Yes. Jesus had already taken care of Peter's sin. Yes. It was already dealt with. What needed to be dealt with was Peter's ability to embrace the fact that it was dealt with. What needed to be done is Peter needed an internal rewiring to be able to say, hey, wow, I can still show up in this relationship even though I failed. I can still show up and offer to Jesus my love and my affection, even in, in the, <laughs> a very short history of having messed something up really, really badly. He was able to stay in the relationship. And then something, something I think beautiful happens. Jesus tells Peter he's going to die. You might think, how's that beautiful? How's that wonderful? Well, I'll tell you what, for Peter, I think what Peter heard is this. Jesus says to Peter, you know what? There was a time when you were younger when you could go anywhere you wanted. You were free. But there is a time coming in your life when you're going to be bound and somebody's going to take you where you don't want to go. Signifying to Peter the kind of death that he was going to die to glorify God. Now, in that moment, I think what Peter's hearing is this. I chickened out. I denied Jesus because I was afraid. I was afraid that somebody was going to take my life like they were going to take Jesus, so I, I denied him. And here he's got Jesus saying to him, basically, hey, Peter, guess what? The very thing that you messed up, you're going to get it right. It's going to be okay. 
you're going to do it in the end. You're going to make it in the end. And now the basis for that is this, the restored relationship. The basis for his ability to stay is love. See, Peter's like, no, even if all these people fail, I'm never going to fail. I'll, I'll never give up on you. I'll never quit you. And he was so rooted in his own, I'm going to say pride, his own stubborn belief that he was right, that he's never going to commit he, or he's never going to compromise. His commitment level was so great. Jesus, you're so lucky I'm on your team. I'm not going anywhere. And Jesus completely reorientates him. And he says, you know what? You're going to make it. But you're going to make it now because there's love in your life. There's a power of love. And Paul says, love never fails. Love never fails. He completely reorientates him. He addresses his failure and restores him. Prophesies to him, Peter, you're going to make it and it's going to be great. Don't quit. Don't back up. Don't back off. Do you know what qualifies you to feed my sheep? Well, first of all, that I'm your righteousness. And second of all, hang in there in the relationship. Stay in that place of affection. Abide in my love, Jesus said to his disciples earlier. Remain in my Father's love, just as I have. Right? So stay in the relationship. Hang in there. Don't get discouraged. Jesus is taking care of your sin. He already has. It's done. And that's not to marginalize or minimize sin. It's a big deal. Jesus shows up in Peter's world and actually has a conversation with him. Sometimes you got to talk about it. You really do. But guess what? It's dealt with. It already is. That's not a marginalizing it. That's not saying it's not important. It's so important that he died for it. It's so important that he bore it in his own body. But because he bore it in his own body, it's dealt with. It's done. Let it go. Let it go. Remember Paul, remember Paul there? I have this one compelling focus. I forget about the things in the past, and I press on towards what's ahead. We should do that too. Now, lastly, Jesus meets Peter with his regard to his propensity to compare himself with other people. After this beautiful encounter takes place, Jesus, you know, just completely rewires Peter internally. Peter still, he's still got this propensity to just pack it in. Here's the thing. Here's how I know this. He's had this moment with Jesus. And then it says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. It's like he just had this moment-to-moment, this intimate, beautiful encounter, and then he just quickly walks away from Jesus. Well, what about that guy over there? You know? What about him? And the thing about that is this. When you're going to compare yourself with other people, when you're going to compete with other people, when you're going to let other people set the standard for you, what happens is you end up having to turn. You have to turn from Jesus. You have to take your eyes. Pastor mentioned this verse earlier, but it says that we're in a race. You know, we're, we're running with endurance, the, the race marked out for, for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's how you run. That's how you run your race. You keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. But Jesus says to Peter, hey, what's that to you? Peter's like, well, what about that guy? And Jesus says, don't worry about him. What, what's that got to do with you? You follow me. And I'll tell you what, if you can hear Jesus say to you, you follow me. Zach, follow me. Leave them to me. You follow me. That's going to help you a lot. That's going to help you big time. It really will. So just a couple thoughts about comparison. Comparison and comparing yourselves. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will stand, for God is able to make him stand. That's true about the person you're comparing yourself to, and it's true about you. You will stand. God is able to make you stand. Next one. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 to 5. Paul says, it's a small thing for me to be judged by you or anybody else, basically. In fact, I don't even judge myself. That's a great place to be in. 
I'm not judging myself. I'm not comparing myself to other people. He's like, I'm, I'm not aware of anything against me. That's not why I'm justified. Jesus is my righteousness. But don't judge anything before the time. Just let it go. Let it go. So ultimately, what I think happens is this. I think Peter, remember we talked about defaults? You got this, Peter had a default to fishing. He had a default to compare himself with other people. And I think that Jesus ministered to him, rewired him, and gave him a new default. And his new default became love. I'm enough. Jesus loves me. I can show up. I can show up in this relationship. I can show up in my calling. I can show up at work because he loves me. And what he's after is love. There's a point in Peter's life where he ends up being called out by the Apostle Paul. You can read about it in Galatians, where Peter's basically being a hypocrite. And this mighty man of God gets called out by the Apostle Paul and says, Hey, you stand, to be, you stand condemned. You stand to be blamed. You're, you're playing the hypocrite, and we all see it. We all know it. Now, Peter, with this propensity to compare, this, this propensity to withdraw when his faults are pointed out, Later on in his life, we'll know this time he didn't go back to fishing. We'll find out later on in his life when he writes his epistles that he's actually appreciative of the moment. And he writes about, uh, he writes about Paul and says, hey, this guy, he's got some stuff. Basically, if you read between the lines, I've been blessed by this guy's ministry. The untaught, the unstable, they twist his words just like they do all the other scriptures. This remarkable humility worked out in Peter where later on he's able to say, wow, that guy who rebuked me? That's like, that's on par with scripture. That's good stuff. So Peter's got a default. We can all have new defaults. But the point here is don't quit. Don't quit now. Don't let personal failure, don't let sin, don't let your comparison with other people. And don't let broken expectations, don't let disappointment cause you to step back. Don't let that to, to, to sideline you. I mean, a couple weeks ago, we did a, a series called I'm In. We talked about Nehemiah, how the work on the Lord's house ceased. God's work in your own life can only stop if you stop, if you back up. You're going to face opposition. Of course you are. But don't quit. Keep going. All right, let's all stand up. The beautiful thing about Jesus is that he, he knows you and he's decided that he loves you. And you aren't going to change his mind. And just like Peter, he finds you where you are. He finds you right now. You can't actually withdraw from him. He's chasing you down and he's going to find you. He's faster than you are. So we've got this beautiful relationship with Jesus where he loves us like crazy. He is ruthlessly, and I mean ruthlessly, committed to seeing the fullness of his plan in your life work out. We've heard this before today, but he's absolutely committed to plan A. And if you feel like plan A is abandoned in your life, I'm telling you, you're going to hear Jesus. You're going to feel him meet you and breathing new life into that plan, new life into those dreams and expectations. He's got a life that he's marked out for you. He's got a plan for you. He knows you. Now, the fullness of that plan, it starts with this. It starts with saying, Jesus, I want to do life with you. I want to live with you. I want you in my life. And I want to give somebody an opportunity today. If you've never done that before, if you've never accepted Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to live my life for you. Let's have plan A. Bring it on. If you've never done that before, I just encourage you right now. I'm going to count to three. Just raise your hand. Everybody else, if you could bow your heads, close your eyes. We're all praying. Ready? You want, you want Jesus in your life. You want to live with him. You want his plan A for you. Ready? One, two, three.
All right, everybody else, guess what? Jesus is here. Can I have the altar ministry to come forward, please? If you're praying at the altar today, come on up. There's a moment here today. I mean, there's always a moment. The Lord is, is faithful and good. But sometimes if you've got something stirring up in your heart today, deal with it today. The Lord will minister to you today at the altar. So if you've got some, some disappointment, some broken expectations, something you've been believing for, and you just need somebody to stand with you, you just need to hear the Lord say, hey, you're enough. Hang in there. Stay in the relationship. You can hear that today. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you are absolutely committed to each and every one of us. You're committed to your best. You're committed to more for all of us. Even if we aren't, you are. And you're going to chase us down. You're going to see it. David had a good revelation. He said, you will perfect all that that concerns me. You will bring it all into full manifestation in my life. Lord, I pray anybody feeling the need to just back up, withdraw, hold off just a little bit, that they would feel today, Holy Spirit, breathe life, breathe life, breathe life, revision, reset, start over, meet at that place of promise. And may everybody just feel the wind of the Holy Ghost inside you, propelling you into plan A. Bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.